Hello and welcome back to another season of Ainsley Hooper Chats with, with me, your host Ainsley Hooper. This season, season two, is going to be dedicated to disability and the pandemic and discussing the various ways in which the pandemic has impacted on the lives of my guests with disabilities. Season one, we spoke to people with disabilities about their experiences of disability throughout their life and the things they'd like the general public to know about living with a disability. Given that we're all experiencing a pandemic at this time, uh, it's, it seemed very timeful to, very timely to discuss the topics. We won't be just discussing the pandemic, we'll be discussing issues relating to disability and various other issues because disability people with disabilities aren't all just about disability there's intersectionalities that need to be discussed as well so please enjoy my podcast uh, this season and if you have any questions or you would like um, to ask any future podcasts uh, any guests any questions just drop them in the comments or email me at info at ainsleyhooper.com.au you can catch this podcast on spotify apple podcasts and Google Podcasts, as well as on Podbean. So enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. So welcome back to another season of Aisley Hooper Chats With. And at this time, I have with me uh, Ricky Spencer. Hi, Ricky. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell everyone all about you. Oh, well, thanks, Ainsley, for having me on your beautiful, wonderful um, series, which I absolutely love and am passionate about. So as as oh, as I, as you said, my name is Ricky Spencer. My pronouns are they, them, and her. I'm a 52 year old uh, transgender person living with a number of disabilities. Um, I'm also from the stolen generation, as I recently found out in the last couple of years that I was adopted. Still trying to find my heritage space. Um, I was in social work for around 20 years. I then moved into teaching, became a qualified teacher, worked in that space casually, but as my health deteriorated uh, with my mobility and my awakening of my authentic self, where I finally came out as trans, uh, schools refused to hire me and seemed I was deemed as a threat to the school and to myself and I could only obtain further employment unless I fully transitioned as a woman but being in my current state of transing uh, as I call it or, or some people call transitioning I was deemed not suitable so henceforth I got a bit upset I went back to Melbourne Uni did my Masters of Education in Diversity um, Again, I was angry because there wasn't much spaces for trans teachers and gender diverse people and, big one, teachers living with disabilities uh, in that space. Um, and I just thought to myself, what's going on? And it seems to me that teaching is also ableism, you know, promotes ableism and heteronormative spaces. So my two passionate intersectionalities and, of course, being Indigenous, um, we're still invisible in that space. So going forward, now completing my Master's of Social Policy at Melbourne Uni, doing my doctorate at VU, exploring heteronormative spaces uh, within the first three years of secondary schooling. I'm on a number of committees uh, where I, I'm on the, I'm the LGBTIQ officer at 
uh, Melbourne University, as well as Indigenous um, member for their postgraduate association. I'm also the now elected Queer Greens Victorian uh, convener for that space, uh, as well as I'm on a number of trans health committees. My aim and my research really is on advocacy to make sure that people living uh, positively with a disability are visible and that there are services in planning that we need to address. So I guess I cover a lot of areas because I've discovered that when one is has a number of intersectionalities, we need to really voice our lived experiences and really do something in terms of power because at the moment we are in a stage in neoliberalist uh, government and philosophy where we are limited and we're almost becoming processes of the um, the wheel in terms of they're giving us spaces in a co-design but co-design is only limited to having a voice but not actually getting power redistributed and giving us an opportunity in leadership where we can distribute resources to best um, meet the needs of people with ourselves who most need to have a say into improving our quality of life as we see it. Mm. I hope that's okay, Ainsley. I do wow. talk <laughs> oh, that is an amazing introduction. Um, it's, in, it's interesting, like the the bit. Of, I mean, there's so many things interesting in everything you said, but just that last bit about co-design. Mm. So, um, yeah, I guess you know, I yeah, when I just heard about the term co-design, I just assumed it was it meant like actually working together to design. So, it's it's not actually that. Exactly. And for people wow. in our spaces with disability, I've been on a number of co-design projects yep. and I still am. And I must admit that I kind of, I'm always critical because I always put my critical lens, my hat on. And one of the things is that, yes, it's good to have voices being heard and especially people living with disabilities, but, you know, where does it go from there? And one of the things I noticed is that whoever chairs these the co-designed um, consultancies, are most, some, mostly are people not living with a disability. And I have a I take a bit of an issue with that because when it, it I feel as though somehow it's very contrived into terms of hearing what we're saying and then acting on that because we don't have a then can take that forward to see what happens when you get all our ideas onto mm. a format yeah and further you know where where can we move from that onwards and this is the platform that i'm really kind of looking at exploring and disrupting because yes you want us to be on uh, on a co-design and you give us a tokenistic you know, $25, mm. $50 to help supplement our pensions. But when we're giving you real lived experience that is of value mm -hmm. because we're living in a neoliberalist world and we quantify every little bit of time into policy formation and development, then why can't we then be hired or people hired with with lived this and I keep saying lived disabilities mm. and one of the reasons I keep saying it because I'm a big believer that language is power yes it's important to really disrupt the space and remind people I'm not gonna um 
use pretty language, I'm going to say we are living with a disability and, you know, we're not part of everyday planning. You know, we are still planning for people with disabilities, not planning with or people with disabilities planning for ourselves. And this is what annoys me that, you know, how many planners are there at the moment hired in councils who have, you know, who are, uh, wheelchair bound or have a condition or mm-hmm. have something that then they know when it comes to planning. And just to give you a, a, a thing with that, um, Ainsley, is that uh, my, my mobility is getting uh, less and uh, more reliant on, you know, using sticks now every day. And now I'm sure eventually I will go to a chair and obviously independence to me is important, mm. but being accessing, you know, I live in a rental accommodation because I can't afford to uh, work because uh, of my health to, to, to save up for a home. Mm-hmm. And so I rely on public transport to get around to services. And I find that even buses are difficult to get on if you are limited in mobile and then the seats aren't that comfortable. And mm-hmm. an example that someone said to me that I've had it because I'm a bigger person and not yes I do eat but it's not because of my weight because of medications I'm on the Mm -hmm. seat collapsed you know and I remember I fell down twice and no one helped me up and if anything people were laughing because they assumed that I'll just fat you know tranny or whatever and I was more I was embarrassed but then I was angry to think I got myself up and I sort of dusted myself up and, you know, but then I thought, imagine if I was more frail, you know, would you laugh and think it was funny? Exactly. But if I was a young person and I was um, cisgendered or abled in terms of I had my, you know, I was skinny and I was blonde and I was, you know, looked, you know, you'd pro- everyone probably jump up and down and, and help me. But because I was, I'm older, I'm a bigger person and um, they may be not able to work my gender, I was seen more of a spectacle. And mm. this is 2021. <laughs> this is ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So, and this is the thing with planning. And when I tried to ring up the bus services and explain that, you know, you need bigger seating, you've got to make your seating more um, to accommodate weight because the weights that were designed for seats were designed around 20 years ago. And as an ageing and a bigger population, we're getting bigger, so you need to accommodate. So the answer was just the person said to me, we're doing everything under legislation and perhaps you should consider using a taxi max service instead of using our buses. (laughs) And and it was like, are you for real? And I'm thinking, but my argument then is I thought, well, you know what, I'm not going to waste my energy with you because you're not hearing me. Mm. I will take this further. And I said to them, thank you, but I will be taking this a lot further mm-hmm. and addressing it. And this is why, AC, I'm so happy to have this opportunity to speak with you because it really does, it's important to voice some of these things that happen to people like myself. And, you know, I have friends who are, you know, who have who are on the autistic autism spectrum who have find it difficult, you know, to, to get on buses because part of their sensation and sensory that they may talk to themselves. You know, we we are a society still that focuses on wanting us to be a certain way. And, you know, when we look different, yeah. when we sound different, all of a sudden we're seen as something that's, oh, you know, 
we've got to do something. And and sorry, I, I do say a lot, but it's all in my head. One yeah, other thing fine. you mentioned to everyone here listening is please don't attack everyone who doesn't wear a mask for COVID. I have friends who, who are wheelchair bound who also have a problem with respiratory issues that they can't breathe very well. Every breath is a struggle. So sometimes, yes, we are scared of contracting because we're the ones that are more likely to die from a COVID infection. But for some of us, it is difficult to wear the mask. And sometimes we really need to understand the human condition and understand or what the person that they might be going through. Because disability, you know, sometimes one cannot necessarily see the disability in the physical sense. There might be other neurological conditions or conditions manifesting in a certain way that you may not be visible to you. And sometimes I feel it's unfair that as a person living with a disability, I have to voice to you, you, um, the public, what I am uh, being diagnosed with and when mm. I go through, so that you accept my presence or my action because mm. it impacts on you as an able person that you're uncomfortable with. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. Like that whole thing about like people needing to know your, know your disability, your diagnosis. Like I, I grew up with like people just asking me, so I, I just grew up with them. Um, saying it because I just assumed, you know, that was the right response. And then, you know, the, the more I got involved in the disability community, I realised actually, no, I don't need to. And it took me a little bit of a little bit of time to be okay with um, saying, no, I'm not going to tell you my diagnosis because it's not, a, it's not, um, a, it, 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 when I was asked it, asked it like in certain situations, it's not a it's not applicable to the situation. So therefore, why does a person need to know? And it just came down to curiosity. And exactly. Like, yeah. And so that, our privacy, it's part of ourself. Yeah. We, it, we smell it. We breathe it every single day, twenty four mm. hours a day. And why should we have to tell you if it is not relevant in the situation? Yeah. Yeah. As the example, Ainsley, when I've gone for work in the space of um, uh, teaching positions mm-hmm. and I had to explain, you know, my disabilities. And I remember saying to one interview, but surely if I would disclose to you what I think is relevant in terms of my ability to get from room to room, mm-hmm. but beyond that, I cannot see the relevance of you asking me because it was quite intrusive, you know. Um, yeah. And I seem to think I'm the best, I am the expert of my body. Yes. Um, I can tell you um, what I think is needed in that situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I am an intelligent, reasonably intelligent human being. I, I know what's best my body works. I will tell you what resources, if mm-hmm. any, I need to be accommodated, you know, let me tell you as opposed to you dwelling in, wanting to know every ins and outs of everything because it's you know i don't think it's relevant and as you said ainsley it, it it's any it puts us in that position as though we're the spectacle yeah and the other thing is as well i also think because it's something that people have been so used to asking they're probably not even thinking about 
you know, they, they, I think it's just become so entrenched that people just go, oh, so what disability do you have? Uh, and they probably don't even realise that they don't need to know that information. Like, it's probably not going to make any difference. Well, yeah, rarely going to make any difference whatsoever to the conversation except for picking their curiosity. That kind of, that's basically it. Um, do you know, have you, uh, do you follow the blogger uh, Nina, Nina, Nina Tame? Yes, absolutely <gasps> love it. Did you and see the uh, Instagram story the other day about um, asking about her disability? No. That was please, really re, 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 I have to look that up. And yeah. Please, please enlighten me so I can comment. So what she was saying was that instead of like, so, and I, I say this now as well, if someone wants to ask, my, ask me about a disability, um, that, that they'll have to be a friend first. Do you know what I mean? And then, so we have that rapport because otherwise what that's not really relevant to the situation. So she said, rather than being a stranger and, you know, the first thing being asked is, hey, what's your disability? Instead of asking that, she said, rather than that, come up to me and just say, you know, talk about the access issues coming, like that, say, you know, did you have any problems getting in here or, you know, comment you might have noticed stairs, do that because that's relevant. That's something that can be, that you can actually do something about rather than, you know, if I tell you my disability, what the hell are you going to do with that information? Exactly. It's the passivity role. It's this thing and this is with co-design and with with us being involved in working groups mm. and panels is that they keep wanting to keep hearing us tell our story, you know, telling us, yes, we're interested. We want to know your lived experience. Mm. And I'm good to the point now. I say, okay, you want to hear my story, but what are you going to do about it? What action? Mm. And I'm all about like that film. I can't remember with Tom, uh, Tom Cruise is a show me the money, show me the action. Yes. Show me exactly after this meeting, the explicit steps you are going to take yes. to address some of these issues that we, you know, are giving, we're, we're enlightening, enlightening you with what we need to have done mm-hmm. to, to rectify, uh, to improve the access, which is the big A word that, you know, I'm, I'm all really about now. Yeah. Is what are you going to do? Who are you going to contact? And, and when can we when will we be contacted back about the progress of where you're at with it? Because mm. there's one thing to be involved in planning um, and telling our stories, but unless mm. we're in a position where we can know what exactly you're going to do with that information yes. and, and the action, the time frame, I'm finding that it's becoming, you know, all big deal, you know, how many co-design projects and stuff are we going to be on before things start to happen? Yeah. And a good example, Ainsley, was I was um, on a design project for the government about we're looking at different um, readdressing things like my health and we're looking at uh, electronic prescriptions. And I was saying that, you know, when we're looking at accessibility, we also have to look at, you know, empowerment and independence is very important to many of us in the community. We want to make sure whatever systems that governments introduce, they need to understand one affordability for us. You know, secondly, you know, is this, is it, are we able to access this through 
our communication devices. Some people know I find it difficult. If we don't have, and I mentioned the question, not everyone has has um, the, 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 the agility of using the dexterity of fingers, mm-hmm. you know, to do things with the electronic prescriptions and mm-hmm. stuff. I said, you've got to realize some people use voice activation, you know, some people cannot get to sites. So if they're on the phone and that, how are these going to be communicated? Because there's one thing to have um, ableist ways for addressing digital health, mm-hmm. but don't forget about our population. We are a very, we're not one group. And this is what gets me angry too with when they dis, they try to lumber people with disabilities in the one sort of cohort. <laughs> we're not we're, we're we're diverse as everybody else. There's yeah. some people who can use their arms better. There are some people with a neurological condition. There's some people. There's I can't even. There's not enough time to describe disability. So, you know, in itself, it's different 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 levels different different ability different strengths so it's really difficult when you try and quantify it into a policy Mm -hmm. because like with the lgbtiq community when you start when you try to narrow focus something you lose the uniqueness of the individual and their intersectionality and unless you're uh in that intersectionality where you are allowed you are going to be missed Yes. And this is my fear, you know. All the we all those lovely people we have locked in um in uh residential services who are having to be cared for by carers, where are their voices in or where are their ideas and their their quality of life needs? Because mm. I don't hear that in panels. I don't see um people similar to those uh, conditions and, and intersectionality being on uh, uh, panels or being on uh, decision-making uh, where money and uh, power is being given. Mm-hmm. They're not there yet. All I see is still spokespeople who are, you know, body, they're, 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 they're abled, bodied, and quite frankly, to me, that's not good enough in this 20th century um, mm. postmodern you know, neoliberalist world we are in that people from our community are not given more opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. In policy, in policy formation and distributing. Like my big thing with NDIS is that why does it have to be a one-person show up the top? Why yeah. cannot be a panel of, say, two or three people appointed by a community of people living with a disability mm-hmm. shared yeah. and giving, and why does it have to be somebody, you know, with a certain uh, expert, you know, expertise? There are people with our community, within our diverse, uh, heterogeneous, I think that's the word, community, mm-hmm. who can be good leaders and yes. give great ideas and and be visionary. This is what sometimes people think. You know what? Yes, hello, people out there. People with disabilities can be visionary. They can Mm. give you an idea of where things could be in 10, 15 years. You know, we don't always need somebody with a PhD who's abled to tell us or a parliamentarian to think, oh, yes, I'll tell you where it could be. We can, you know, we're probably the better people to, to give you advice and lead that way. Because mm-hmm. we can understand, you know, where things go, how we can get around, 
our life expectancy, you know, accessibility, the big one, what needs to be done. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like talking before about the mask situation, um, but yes, yeah, so like the, 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 this um, time around with my, with um, talking to guests like yourself, I'm v- I guess I'm very interested in the experience of COVID. So like for me, so yeah, since March, 2020, basically. um, Yeah. I I myself have just been pretty much leaving the house just to go to medical appointments. Um, You know, my mum's in a nursing home. So I went and visited her a few times when they're not in lockdown, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, and then like, uh, yeah, maybe going out like once or twice for dinner so that's pretty much been me. What, what about yourself? What's your experience of COVID been well, like? With COVID, it, I was really scared, Ainsley, at mm. first last year because mm. at that stage my my ability got to the point where I could barely walk from the couch to the toilet. Wow. So I was really much in struggle. Mm-hmm. You know? And luckily enough, I have a carer, you know, through Centrelink where – I have someone who, who's, you know, I've known for 30 years who I trust that he helps me with, um, you know, showering and, and, you know, those things that, you know, I, I am still embarrassed about and I'm coming mm-hmm. to terms with. And that's hard. That's another thing to say that, you know, these are personal dignity things that are really difficult for some people to understand, you mm-hmm. know, that to go through. And I just found a certain fear because my doctors, I didn't know if I could get telehealth. So, you know, I see a psychiatrist very regularly, a psychologist. I see an um, osteopath. Uh, oste- yeah, oste- yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of this. Uh, physiotherapist, um, you know, and my endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. So I have quite a few appointments. And part of me, I was scared, Ainsley, because my mobility was getting to the point and the other thing to mention that some people said oh you can just catch a taxi well you know one it costs a lot of money mm. and b i wouldn't fit into a taxi because right. i'm okay. a bigger person mm-hmm. and ubers which are a bit cheaper than taxis um are smaller <laughs> so yeah, right, i don't know if yeah. anyone notices that or anyone else has had that experience so when you've got limited mobility and and you, your, all your bones are sore. To get into a smaller car is very stressful, mm. and it, you know to be in a, in a tighter space, so anxiety, all those factors rise. And then I found taxis. Uh, sometimes the other for me, ANC, uh, with my intersectionality, is that being transgender. It's that fear of someone, re- you know, making fun of me or yeah. not wanting to talk to me. So. I was able to put my mask on to hide my myself. And right. I get the mask became a bit of a saviour in some ways too, mm-hmm. although it's difficult to breathe because I was hoping it would hide my um, any signs of maleness so that mm-hmm. I would not be, you know, stared at or ridiculed or, mm-hmm. you know. So there was that sort of dealing with those. But once everything came on to telehealth, it became easier, but then it was problematic because on so much medications over the years, I have sometimes problems with memory, remembering things and anxiety, remembering with Zoom, how to put things on. It's not easy, you know, mm. then access medications and to explain yourself to, you know, what medications you need. And that was hard because mm. with COVID, uh, I had to organise shopping. 
Oh, the other thing, ANC, last year was hard. I was still living in, before I, thank God, found this house I could afford in West Footscray. I think I got the cheapest rundown house in Footscray, but I snapped it because no more stairs. I was living upstairs. So you can imagine the pain yeah. of me every day holding on to the rails mm-hmm. to try and get up um, and struggling to get to the top of the stairs. And what I've had so many bad experiences with um, with Woolworths and Coles, and I don't mind shaming them for some of their workers, that they refused to carry my groceries upstairs and they would leave them downstairs and I had and I was so upset you can imagine I was in tears because I would have to carry one item at a time and I said please but because I wasn't in a wheelchair I was just standing they would say well we can't and I remember once one of the workers said I have a sore back and I was like, my oh, my blood was sinking. I'm thinking, I have sciatic pain. If if I go down the stairs, I can't get up the stairs. And what I'm, are they even doing if they've got a sore back? And I'm thinking, what are you, you know, where is the surface? And I'd be crying. I remember really crying on the phone to, to Coles. And, I mean, you know, they're trying to help. But I yeah. said, why are you? why do you have workers who are not helping? And I thought, mm-hmm. and I felt so alone at that time. So mm-hmm. I thought, I wonder if other people are in a similar situation to myself. If we're trying to be independent, yeah. we're trying to order a service like that and they're living in stairs, you know, we're trapped. You know, we have to, you know, the, if I hadn't have had some mobility, mm-hmm. um, the groceries would have just stayed there, you know, until I got my carer to come over and, and do that. So it really mm-hmm. highlighted to me COVID in some ways highlighted some of the uh areas that need addressing more so yeah especially for people in in accessibility in structures and i thought to myself i wondered how many people with limited mobility are living in spaces with stairs that they have to navigate yeah and i wonder how services that works for their services because with COVID too one of the things anc found that some people would would refuse to come into the place to deliver like a food parcel I had delivered, they put it at my door. So I had to like drag the box of food mm-hmm. across with some sticks to get it to the to the inside the door so I could then unpack it. So it's little things like that, I think, sometimes with COVID. And I understand, I get that we have to be uh, mindful and have our PPE and um not catch not be transmit any infections however you know you have to think sometimes for some people for elderly but people with limited mobility and strength you know to say you'll leave the box for someone or mail like they do i'll leave it outside your door mm-hmm. you know and then we've got to somehow collect it somehow or or navigate to get that item in it is so difficult mm. so when you say my experiences, you know, it's been difficult because having by yourself and then it it almost has now exposed my vulnerabilities in terms of what I can do and can't do and just how dependent I was on people interacting and giving me or handing me an object or or work or putting the object near my table, near my door, so Mm -hmm. I can slightly access. But now leaving something, near the entrance is you know was problematic then it still is a bit now i'm in a house of 
touch wood, I'm lucky. But it's the same thing is that too because I have to make sure mm. if I get bent down and go down, I can't get up. So I've got mm. to ways to think. So it's just little things like that with COVID yeah. that um, – oh, the other thing, <laughs> COVID too, mm. I have it – my immunity is compromised. So mm. uh, I have sleep apnea uh, and mm. I have that fear of if I got this, where would I be? I'm alone. Yeah, I have my pets. Who's going to look after my pets? Um, where will I go? What will I do? What if I don't pay the rent? Will I be out on the street? All these things come up, and because it's when you're not working, you know, and when you have a disability, you start to think, when will my sense of my ownership of myself end? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that that's it's huge, isn't it? Absolutely, mm, wow. it's a yeah. it's a frightening thing because yes, yeah. if a service comes to help you, mm. are they going to help me or are they going to help to put me into a into another place where my 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 independence is going to be taken away because I'm going to be deemed that I'm not able to look after myself, mm. and this is one thing that I guess some of us fear of intervention because you know and one of my recent one of my areas that i'm involved in is in the lgbtiq older housing uh for hag which is a housing authority in victoria and i'm focusing on looking at you know older accommodation services for people who are trans and the other invisibility and again it's still invisible is i say well, what about people with a disability and who are queer the services that are very limited you know and I'm presenting a paper in the next couple of weeks about outcomes for students with um, in schools in in special needs schools. Mm-hmm. And but again, one of the areas I wanted to talk about, but I couldn't, and I wanted to. Yeah, it was complex. Was uh, queer kids in high schools in in special needs schools? Where are their accommodations? Where are their choices? Where are their ability to have informed, healthy sexual relationships? And and where does the curriculum address and supports that? It doesn't at the moment. Mm. It's in it. These things make me angry because it's another area I have to disrupt. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole thing in our lived experience, living in an ableist world, is that everything we have to keep disrupting. It's tiring, you know. Oh, from, absolutely. Yeah. From going into a shop that you know you've noticed with COVID that now I struggle because I do a lot of my op shopping when I go you know, to save us. It's like an op shop. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, Ainsley, we get, they sell secondhand things, but it's mm. really fabulous. And they've taken away the seats inside there. So now when I get tired of I'm like, I can't sit down and rest my back. Right. You know, and I've noticed a lot of shops, like if I've gone out to an appointment and I go to Woolies, they've covered up those seats so you can no longer sit there or mm. relaxing. And I keep thinking, I'm lucky because I can lean on my my Jeep trolley if I've got that. But what if someone is in so much agony? Yeah. Where would they go? Because they've uh, a lot of seats when the COVID they cover up, so you can't even sit to rest yourself. You have to make sure relying on a bus stop somewhere if it's nearby. So I'm thinking more attuned to that when I go to a space. Is there an accessible toilet? Mm-hmm. 
is there a place where I can sit somehow and rest my my legs if they're just so sore? Mm -hmm. And at the moment, and still in coals and woolies, they've taken away all the seats. So many of us struggle and we rely on online. But sometimes, and I've said this to other spaces, that when you order online, it's the presumption that you have to order a certain amount and the fees are quite expensive. Mm -hmm. Some of us on pensions can only afford to order or to get $20, $30 worth. So that's not an option for us online. We have to physically go to a shop. Oh, right, okay. Nice milk or bread and maybe some, you know, because you've only got $20 to spend out of your pension. Mm -hmm where you can't order it because the feeder cost, if you want to get a couple things, it costs you about $18, $18 right. to, um, uh, to order. So that doesn't work out benefit for someone on a pension. Sure. So it's these things that COVID has kind mm-hmm. of highlighted to me, the areas of um, problem that's problematic for us. Yeah. I was just wondering because I mean, I've only used um, – the delivery once um luckily i've got a partner um, and who goes does the shopping um so but yeah one time when we had to get the covid test obviously neither of us could go out so we had to get it delivered um but was was there something with the ndia i don't know if it's still out or not but there was something if you bought say from woolies i think it was that they would cover the postage charge the delivery charge not that I'm aware of. I'm, I'm oh. still trying to get on the NDIS. Oh, okay, right, okay. It's like, and that don't get me started on the the paperwork. Yeah, but, right. With our like discussion that, earlier, like, I assumed you'd already been on it. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that, that's a nightmare. Wow. That is, that would be uh, fantastic if they covered the the postage for that mm. because that is an ex- extraordinary amount of fees. Yeah, like $17 or something. $17. Yeah. If you're on a pension and, you know, you're getting a certain amount and the certain amount goes in rent. So for me, I I pay uh, $2.95 a week rent. So Mm -hmm. I've got to make sure I've got the rent covered Mm -hmm. and then I've got to make sure I've got my um, utilities covered because Mm -hmm. you you get the threats. If you don't, I don't know, if I don't pay on time, you lose your discount, you know, the $20 or whatever they call it. And then you this nice little email mm-hmm. threatening to say that you're about to be disconnected if you're not paid and you're going to be, you know, all these threats. So, mm-hmm. so much for your caring um, utilities people, you know, and then, you know, and it's like you're in this never ending cycle because you're being threatened, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't pay this, you're going to do that. If you don't do this, you're going to do that, you know, and you're constantly trying to navigate how am I going to cut costs, you know, and you've got mm-hmm. your patients that they keep rising, you know, like, like I lately I was told it went up to $6.10 for some medications. And I'm like, wow, it came from $5 one day. Now it's gone to $6.10, keeps going up. It's little things like that that kind of upset me that other people don't seem to understand that if you're abled and you're working and you've got an income, that you don't think about that so much. But when you have to think about it because you live it, mm-hmm. there's a difference between buying something to eat and paying a medication you have to sometimes outweigh the both do i go mm-hmm. without my um, blood pressure tablets or can i buy myself something to eat and yeah, keep well. you know it's mm-hmm. those sorts of conversations that yep. are 
you know, that you kind of have with yourself that you have to try and do. And, you know, it's difficult because, you know, COVID, I'm lucky. I still think I'm privileged because I've been lucky at sometimes to have obtained, um, you know, I've able to use some of my super when I've had to, mm-hmm. you know, to survive. But I think about others and lucky to get this place. The house, because in West Footscray, it is the cheapest house, I can tell you. Most houses now to rent in Foots- West Footscray uh, averages 400 you know, to 500 a week. Wait, wow. It's outrageous for someone on a pension, you know, or even someone just working. It's just ridiculous. And mm. someone said to me, oh, why do you live there so close? Go. I said, mm. well, health. You think you've got co-health, I've got access to, to get, you know, you know, or people have to come to see me, the costs yeah. are, are more um, manageable. You know, ideally I'd love to live out in the country to be to go or some space like that. But one, it's difficult because the housing, there's a crisis shortage of housing now in, in, in those areas. Right. And in my lobbying group with the LGBTIQ or the health space is that a lot of these rental spaces now are being taken up with um Air and air, air, air and B, what they call it. Oh, the, the Airbnb, yeah, yeah. They now brought all these old houses up in Ballarat and Bendigo, and now people are using them as a quick, short-term rental market because there's more money to be made in having people come for two or three days. So there's less affordable housing now for people, and people who have a disability. We're on the last we're on the lowest pecking order because they see us as problematic, you know, oh, you need this modification, they need that now, mm. and have this repair. So this is why I'm angry, I see, you know, because mm. no one is looking after our best interests. Yeah. And I feel like we need a reshake of government governance to really have a, a, a dare I say it, another position where it looks after the well-being of us but I would hope that for God if we ever got this that we would get we would be able to have a special I don't know sort of it has to be someone with a um, disability because mm-hmm. unless you're living with your you your wheelchair bound or mm. you, you know you have you're not going to know what it's like whether to get through doors open exactly. or get on the bus or try and get a taxi, you know, um, to accommodate, to get you from one space to another space. Mm-hmm. These are the things that really irritate me because with planning, there are very few planners um, who are with living with a disability who are planners. And this is an area that to me, it, it it's like a no-brainer if I hate to use that word. Mm-hmm. That is an area like this is why we should have people or invest in government supporting people uh, with like kids in the schools with disabilities, getting them into these roles, supporting them into these roles, mm-hmm. you know, modifying the curriculum in universities to even having them like an assistant to work because they would be the best experts in that area of lived experience, you know, from organising the way we have transport stops, especially in the city where we can almost kill ourselves because the hop off a tram is ridiculous. Mm. Uh, you know, the fact that some trams, you have to have steps and they're like quick, quick, quick because you've only got 10 seconds and you're trying to yeah. get through slowly before the tram just takes off and you can feel the gush of wind and it blows you away. And I'm thinking, no wonder I don't see many people mm. um, with with chair access, you know, uh, yep. in, in chairs and that going to see because 
no one cares. It's like we're not wanted in that space. And mm. that's how I feel. And I'm angry because why aren't we wanted? Mm. Why can't we be there too? Why we have a right to be there just because we have different forms of um, transportation mm-hmm. to get us around. We're still part of the community. Why should we be shunted out to an outer suburb somewhere? And, um, you know, so I'm all about, no, it's time things we change. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, to just talking about, about the tram thing, so, like, yeah, I've never been on a, tra- on a tram before. I know that there are accessible trams, but, um, I mean, yeah, so, like, I live in Geelong and I would only ever go to Melbourne, like, say, twice a year. Um, and I don't think I've been to Melbourne for years now. Um, but, yeah, so I've never been on a tram and I don't think I'd be confident enough to even attempt to get on it purely for that reason, like you said, that, that it would go off too quick. They've right. now also, Ainsley, with their planning of a tram is they have less seating. So they've got now things like you you hang on like right. almost like a bondage thing where you're hanging on like um, things to hang up yeah. or seats. Where you're... Now, that's okay if you're young, abled uh, person, but <laughs> someone like me, what am I really hanging? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like ridiculous. And the seats are very far and few between. They have a lot of these seats that are into, you have to get through to get to them. So to me, it would have been more sense to have them more towards the doorways to access, but they seem to be, I don't know, the way they designed it, 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 it doesn't accommodate for people like myself or even people who are using a, a chair. Yeah to get through it's not very accommodating and not and the other thing is with the trams not all trams that go through Swanson Street have been modified so that's the problem too mm. and they're packed so you imagine if you're not well to for, to try and get into a space you know and if you fall down it's just that fear of um, mm. you know like I had on the bus and don't get me started with my bags here on buses because some bus drivers <laughs> And it's a fear now that with my bones, I feel they do this, you know, they stop, start, they really. Yes. And it does. And I'm thinking if someone had severe neck uh, pain, mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. the pain or migraines or, you know, you've had an operation on your body. Yes. God forbid you're on a bus or some of these horrific bus drivers that have no regard for safety mm-hmm. and stop, start so quickly. And then when you get off, it's like you don't get much time to get off and you're trying to go as quick as you can because you can see they're frustrated mm. and then you feel that they're going to start up and you're going to fall down the bus. These are the problems we've got with our transport. You know, people talk. It's also the retraining. You know, we've got to and retrain able people as well to remember to be more caring. You know, we'll bring the care back. You know, <laughs> do we help each other? If someone's not well or an elderly person needs help, is it so much to ask you, audience who are able, to get up and help or ask, sorry, first, you know, excuse me, madam, would you like some assistance to help you get off the bus? Yeah. You know, be a good community-minded advocate. You know, it doesn't take much. You know, it, we're not after heroes, but yes. just, just to care for someone. If they're in a wheelchair, just ask, oh, just wondering, would you like some assistance in any way to get off? People will tell you, no, I'll be okay. I'll yeah, exactly. That. But just make that, at least don't make us so invisible. You mm. know, and I had that experience the other week when I was in Fitzroy trying to find my new osteo and I was lost because I get, and because of the way I looked, 
for the first time in my life, Ainsley, and I thought, you know, I was desperate to know what street because I got confused. The person just looked through me. Oh. I, I said, excuse me, sir. And I used to sir, you know, because it's a food car. Can you please tell me where I think it was? I forgot George Street or something. Just walked past me like I didn't exist. Can't even imagine thought, what that was like. Am I that not worthy of, you know? And I thought, because <laughs> I had my sticks, you know, that and I thought, you know, yeah, this is, this is, I'm finally old. I'm finally in. F and invisible <laughs> that, that you know and I thought but you know I sat with that and I thought no I'm so glad I experienced that because now I know what it's like for some other people who experience that every single day of their life you know where yeah. they almost give up on just it being acknowledged because this is it is nothing worse than having no acknowledge sometimes I would prefer someone to abuse me then to just completely ignore me when I'm pleading for some help. Yeah, wow. And yeah. But I thought I'd share that because mm. I wanted people to realise that it's those sorts of inactions that ableistic people do that can sometimes really impact someone who's not well. Yeah, they don't think, but they'll just think, oh, it's just a moment that it can just so stay. It's a moment they wish to forget. But for us, it's a lifetime added to our memory of, I really am so lost. I am so unable to find my way around spaces. Mm. Yeah, wow. That, that, that's just, yeah, that, that's huge. And, and it's so, it's like so interesting that like, all that you've spoken about with it, like your experiences with COVID, because there's that whole thing. And, I, and this has been my privilege. I've been up, I guess, and also like, the anthropological side of things and sociological just yeah. looking at society and seeing all the benefits that have happened you know like the remote working and all that kind of stuff like telehealth and all those kind of things but there is just so much that's just yeah so many gaps that still need to be fixed to we do and we need to really have that focus more on understanding that you know with COVID you know there are people who I'm lucky and, you know, I, I feel myself as lucky because I can speak. I still live independently in a home. But imagine those who aren't, you know, imagine those who are locked up in a residential setting mm -hmm. and have that fear of workers, yeah. you know. And the other thing that, you know, we haven't really discussed is having that, um, what it's like when you have someone with all PPP coming into, to, into a residential setting you know, totally covered. And that sense of the fear of, you know, contamination is compounded by care. Mm. You know, all of a sudden you become something to be feared, you know, mm. something that needs to be covered up in all ways because, mm. you know, you're feared, you know, so you almost lose your sense of humanity. Yeah, yeah. Something that's, uh, that's transmittable of, of, a, of an infectious Mm -hmm. and yeah. you lose your sense of you the person you know who's wanting some support so mm. i think there's we as a human race we really need to reconsider how we've behaved in COVID and uh, yes why 
you know, we are the way we are, you know, the fact that we talk about numbers and I have a real major problem with that because we forget about all the people who've died as a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. But it also should remind us of all the people that have died in residential settings. You know, yes. I, I will never leave the image of that beautiful young lady who died. I can't remember her name. It escapes me. She had that blonde hair. And Avery was, Smith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In that wheelchair. And that just... the anger and the pain I felt that that beautiful soul was just left in that wheelchair all that time for a year and nobody cared. And the worker just came and took her and how no one punished. Like that person got away. Like that person should have been charged with murder. That person should never sit that should be put away from jail forever mm. and, and sent a reminder that and do our lives matter? That's it. That our, our lives even care. You know, yeah. if this was somebody living in Kew or Turak, mm -hmm. would that have would that have just left out? And no. not just somebody, but somebody without a disability. Yeah, without you know, and this person wanted to live, she had a lot of life left in her and it was she was robbed of that and, mm -hmm. and the pain and suffering she had to have endured that year mm -hmm. i can never forgive that no. agency no. and i'm ashamed to think that the agency has the audacity to still be around and i will never yeah. forgive all the workers there should have resigned in shame mm -hmm. and they should have never be allowed to work in that space and the directors should have been charged as well yeah management because you know i have worked in disability services i'm not a fool i know there's such thing as supervisors who are supposed to go out and check on workers mm -hmm. and, and supposed to have contacted clients hate yeah. that word client or consumer is better to yeah. have talked about the service is that person meeting your needs can we do it better no that wasn't done and yet the money was taken for that service. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's another conversation we can have because that to me really needs to be outlined and examined because there's a lot of, I'm not very happy with the way NDIS is running some services mm -hmm. and there needs to be more accountability. And that was the thing, like um, the big, biggest thing, there was a couple of things for me. It was actually quite interesting, but first of all, about my reaction to it when it first happened. Obviously, it was that was it hadn't that was, all that was in the headline was that you know this person had died, um, and that there was a carer. Actually, yeah, person had died, and there was one carer. So of course, my alarm bells would have thought, well, why has that person got one carer? Yeah, well, this is my thing. When my first reaction was, oh, okay, so that carer has had burnout. That was that. Was, oh, okay. So my brain went with now. Why would why my brain didn't go with okay? So this person has hurt this person, Anne Marie Smith. I was like, why has this care? Why has this happened? And yeah, there's one care, and so I, I assumed straight away care of burnout didn't. And then obviously, when things came out in the media, I was like, okay, so no, it's actually bigger than that. There was the failure to. Had give her 24-hour care when her, her, the plan from her parents was to have 24-hour care instead of six hours a day. Um, but the, like, the biggest thing for me at the end of it, um, not the end because it's still going on, I think, uh -huh. was that the NDIS uh, 
either the agency or the NDIS was uh, fined something in in the way of over $100,000, something like that, right? But that fine does not need to be paid back. There's no legal recourse to get that money back. So what does that say about people with disabilities? Yeah. There's a fine there and it doesn't need to be paid back. Like it's tokenistic, tokenistic justice. Yeah, it just makes me, and yeah, as a person with disability, like you said, it just makes me feel sick that that's where, that's where we are. You know, like. That's why, uh, AZ, I will not live, I will fight to the day I die about this and. And, and NDIS has a lot to answer for, but I also blame the government. I blame, and I, but you know what? I want responsibility, you know, consciousness of the people running that service, mm-hmm. you know, and if people know of these people, I hope they give them a copy of this, that they listen to the people that worked in that space mm-hmm. or who are associated or the many, or more importantly, the people that were paid to be supervisors. Mm-hmm. You know, shame on you. And I hope mm. every night you go to bed that you have that you realize you have blood on your hands because mm. you are a part of the death, not, I should say death, the murder of that that beautiful innocent woman. Mm. That woman had a lot to live for, and you have failed derelict in your duties mm. as a carer. And I say carer and supervisor to make sure her well-being is met. There's one thing about people taking on these roles, and this is what another thing that really dr- drives my goat about, mm-hmm. you know, services like OnCall had um, their training of to be a disability worker, a three-day training disability to become a worker. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sorry, OnCall, that is disgusting. The fact that yeah. you have to hire people, but how dare you, you know, train people for three days and then certify them as appropriate service providers Mm -hmm. for our most vulnerable clients or so consumers it should be like it was initially that you had to do a one year a certificate for course with a credible teaching in Mm -hmm. a proper TAFE and assessments where as you know as a teacher there's many of us that would have loved to taken on this role where we could have watched the student in their placement had to to make sure they fully met the accreditation needs of looking after a person but no the government just cut costs private providers and when i heard that that on call and other spaces were hiring people for a three-day workshop and then they try to get around that by saying oh yes but they have on call i'm sorry you cannot train somebody in three days all the obligations of looking after someone's health exactly and and think that you're going to sign that off as a disability worker and this is the problem i face too many unqualified people working in that space should never have obtained work because they've done it for the wrong reasons they've done it purely for money and i'm sorry when you're in in a you know in a you know carer professional role like as in nursing Mm -hmm. it should be done through the means that i want to help people exactly you can't, it can't i want to get money. double time pay because that's mm. what i get yeah yep and like the one thing that i found really frightening as well like talking back about covid um is the the exodus of people from i think from the aged care sector going into the disability sector to avoid the whole immunization vaccine thing so oh. i mean i'm not going to go in that debate because that's a huge and like that's you know one that we could have yeah but like that, that but, just really gets my goat to everyone yeah. out there mm. you know 
do not be selfish, you know, for all these anti-vaxxers out there. You think about it. I don't care the fact that you want to have your opinion. That's fine. But if you choose to work in a caring profession, <laughs> then for God's sakes, think about the ethics of what you're doing. You're, in, you're vulnerable. We have vulnerable people who can't speak for themselves, who rely on your touch, on your help to get them through, toileting through the feeding. And if you're that self-centered and selfish and idolatric, because you it's all about idolism idolism i'm mm. sorry then then you know what you are a horrible human being and i don't care if i get people hate mail for this go for it because unless you're living with a disability or you've seen what COVID 19 can do to somebody with respiratory issues that are lifelong that we don't hear in the media because mm. they're too scared to let people know yeah then you know you have another you're another person that really has blood on your hands because you know these are very vulnerable people who yeah. don't necessarily cannot say go away mm-hmm. because they have to have you there even though you've selfishly thought i'm not going to get vaccinated because i don't want to and I feel like saying, you know what, and you don't care the fact that you might pass this on to a, a wonderful person who has very little immunity because of their disability and illness, yes. and you give it. So I'm sorry, Aisy, I get very passionate about this. No, don't, don't this so do I. an area that a lot of people don't stand up, and, and I, I think mainstream media don't talk about it or, or mm-hmm. commentators or personalities don't wish to be to have that um, label, but I'm prepared to wear that label because I'm prepared to say that, you know, I'm proud to say I've got my vaccinations mm-hmm. because I also, if I had to meet friends of mine who have living disabilities, I don't want them to be sick. Exactly. And I like to think that I have done something to hurt another human being through my own neg- negligence that I could have, you know, done something to prevent it. Yes. So, you know, mm-hmm. we have a we have a duty of care. You know, and this is my thing. I keep using that word care. Whatever happened to care? Yeah. You know, and you know, people's voices and all those beautiful kids in special needs schools. You know, you know. It goes it, back to that sociological social con um, the social contract. Yeah, whatever you know, happened to that's that people? A, that's what I think about. It's like oh. yeah, we've got a responsibility other people would and we and yeah we need to stop thinking about ourselves i was scared to get the needle because i'm scared of needles but you know like i I hate the pain yeah i had my first shot and i was fine and you know i'm but i thought in the end of it i had to do it because I didn't want to get sick mm-hmm. a bit and be a, another burden on a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. I was fearing my own. But I thought if I've got friends who, who have conditions, I don't want them to be sick because of me. No. What and forbid I, if I how I could live with myself? I could not live with myself to think no. I have done this to somebody else. So, that was me. Yeah. Like I couldn't yeah. I couldn't think of like visiting my mother in aged care and you know accidentally passing on to her like I mean that and I mean obviously then it would go through the whole nursing home like no I'm not gonna do that like yeah but yeah so it's yeah it's a front it's a so I think all of this I think Nancy we've learned is that for me COVID has really highlighted the importance of you know really looking after each other and Mm -hmm. individual responsibility where we can Mm -hmm. but also realizing the vulnerability of people Mm -hmm. who cannot necessarily speak for themselves but need protection and again you know seeing disability uh 
spaces are still second class, you know. Mm. And I, I appreciate we've looked after the aged care sector, but for God forbid, look after the disability sector. You know, you, you, you know, governments, hello, you unregulated, you got rid of um, Department of Health and Human Services disability uh, case managers and you privatised through NDIS, but you're, you're allowing, you know, people to work in, in these areas and not be vaccinated. And mm. I don't understand what the holdup, why, you know, you, you know, and to say that, oh, we need the workers because, you know, that's just crap. You know, it's the same like nurses, you know, we need, you know, there's going to be people and have people who want to do the job, you know, encourage it, pay more if it has to be, you know, but, and re-encourage to re-accreditation. My push would be we really need to make sure that every single worker, you know, if I had my way, it would be a two-year. To be honest, I would love to see it. It should be a really a two-year course because mm -hmm. there's not enough training in the one, you know, in the, in the certificate. But to, 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 in fact, having course that runs for, say, six weeks or six months, and a lot of it's online now, mm -hmm. I find is totally insufficient to understand ways of moving people ways of you know because it's not just a physical care it's not like you're working in a vet veterinary you know with an animal not to you know and of course mm. you know, i love animals but these are human beings you know people who can't necessarily tell you this is painful mm. so it, it's a lot of initiative work and understanding best practice in this area and this cannot be achieved through, I'm sorry, through an online medium. It has to be, I'm old fashioned, and I would have preferred to have professional workers showing people how to move people effectively, how to how to clean someone effectively mm -hmm. out as much, you know, with respect, with dignity mm -hmm. and hygiene and best PPE in terms of, so the effect, that, so, you know, because it's there, the person you're looking after, their immune is the one that's the most needed to be looked after. Mm. You're probably okay because you're a worker, you're strong, but they're not. So this is exactly, my, and this is the messages we need to get through to people. This COVID-19 has really exposed the vulnerability of our community. And we need to realise that with COVID-19, we are, you know, or some of our community are an underclass, you know, mm -hmm. we're used yeah. as pawns, you yes. know, and, you know, who knows that how many people are sick, we'll never know as a result of the infections because it gets hidden in statistics and it gets with privacy and we don't ever know that the quality of life has been hindered as a result of it acquiring this infection. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you very much for um, being on my podcast today, Ricky. It's been wonderful to speak to you. I just, and it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's it's been an awesome conversation. I, and I love speaking with you always because I think our shared passion for wanting to make changes mm. has to take place. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, yeah. We've got every day we fight mm -hmm. and we have to keep fighting. And it's tiring, but we have no choice because yeah. if we don't speak up some of our community just gets left yeah exactly right and yeah look yeah, it does gets tiring and but yeah but what you just said there really yeah make, makes me remember why we need to keep doing it so yeah thank you so much um i'm going to ask if people want to um follow you online or and, oh, and, absolutely because i mean um, it sounds like you've got so much going on and, I have, and you've and got I so much to say i love it you people uh, to join we have if you're if you have a disability 
especially and your queer. I'd love to have you join our Maribyrnong group for um, LGBTIQ inclusion. You don't have to live in Maribyrnong now. We have over 66 members, um, but it's about we're looking at developing a th as a queer think tank to support services and help people all around uh, Australia, whether you're living in remote regions and you feel isolated or the service providers aren't supporting you. Think of us as like a big army of friends to come and write and give you the resources. Unlike other service initiatives we don't take over anything we give you the tools and and skills to then you become the person to lead the action that you need because we believe in that self-determination and support which is provide the support so you can contact me through um oh gosh i can't remember now ricky spencer if you google me you'll find me i'm on twitter and facebook um can i'll maybe give ainsley the, the connections later yeah. get in touch with her uh space but please come and join us um help support you know all of us don't just even just me just take a moment to think what can i do how can i make a difference you know and whether it would be you know contacting you know a local disability service provider and saying look can i offer my service even as a friend to come and visit someone you know anyone can do it you know make a difference in this world for someone you know and stop thinking of yourself everybody the able people come and make a friend someone with a disability and it will change your life but more importantly you give someone a bit more of a quality of life and a lens to see the world that not every you know that people do care so thank you again everyone for listening and um you know, please give where you can and please write to your local governments. Elections are coming up. Please vote, you know, talk to people. What what are your policies for disability support services? How, you know, can we improve the NDIS? What are your, how are you going to work to that? Can we, you know, ask those questions right today to your council that you want to know more about disability inclusion programs and then let us know. And so that we can make changes. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, thank you again. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Um, and yeah, send me through the, the links and I'll drop them in the comments so that everyone can follow you. Um, and yeah, have a great day. And just thank you so much. Thank you, Ricky, for being on today's podcast. It's been a great discussion and it shows the intersectionality of disability and environments so well, especially in these, um, these difficult times. So everyone, I hope you really enjoyed today's podcast <clears throat> of Ainsley Hooper Chats With. And if you would like more information on today's guest, Ricky, or you'd like to uh, know how to, um, how to be a guest on, on the podcast, you can uh, email me at info at angelhooper.com.au or over onto my website angelhooper.com.au you can find this website sorry you can find this podcast on spotify google Podcasts, uh, apple Podcasts, and also on podbean Pod so thank you very much and i'll see you next week bye